Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this morning as we approach your word, our prayer is that as we focus on the great gift that you gave us in Jesus Christ, and as we think about this, this Advent season, you would fill us with a renewed sense of hope, not just in, in what you have done, but in what you will do. Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I think every house, every home, has its set of kind of written rules and then it's informal rules. Uh, one of the informal rules in our house, and one that you guys might find a little shocking, is that you don't have to share your brand new toys. Uh, again, shocking. We, we always emphasize share, 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 right? Uh, but around Christmas, around birthdays, in our house, you don't have to share. I think that's kind of born out of my frustration of having my brand new remote control tank crushed by my little baby sister who tried to ride it. You know, remember the one who's pure evil? Um, her. So the length of time that you get that exemption from having to share kind of rises proportionally with how expensive the toy is. You know, because we're thinking if it breaks, we have to replace it. So, so they get this exemption from, from having to share at least for a few days. But that doesn't really work with with all gifts, does it? Because some gifts are meant to be shared. If you get a basketball hoop, it, you know, it's fun to go out and play basketball by yourself, but it's a lot more fun to play horse with your brother or to play a pickup game of one-on-one. -on -one. You know, if you get the new Star Wars Monopoly game, it's, it's fun to take out the pieces and look at them. They're cool, but the game is meant to be played, and to play a game of Monopoly, you need more than one person. So you have to share. Some gifts are just meant to be shared, like Jesus. 
And yes, if you're tracking with me, I just compared Jesus to Monopoly. And that's horrible. But it's better than the first version of this uh, introduction. Originally, it was a Snickers bar. Have you seen those one-pound Snickers bars that are out now? Yeah. Okay, so one of the horrible things about having to preach twice back-to-back is when an illustration really doesn't work in the first service, you've got to turn around and use it again in the second. And that's what just happened. Uh, so I was dreading that moment all the way through the break there. But some gifts are, are so profound that they're meant to be shared. And with this passage that we just read, you see this in Mary. She understands that she has been incredibly blessed. And yet the blessing isn't just for her. There's ripples of this blessing that that move out from her to all those who fear God, to the nation of Israel, and eventually, you see, to the nations themselves. Uh, This is just a, a really interesting encounter with Jesus because it's probably the first encounter with Jesus because he hasn't even been born yet. And yet there's this kind of prenatal visit, if you will. A prenatal encounter with Jesus. Uh, Mary has received word from the angel that she is going to be overcome with the Holy Spirit and be with child. And the child she will name Jesus and he will be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. After receiving this announcement and the announcement that her older relative, we don't know how old, but older relative, is also with a child, she decides to go and visit Elizabeth. The travel, the journey, was probably a a couple days, and you could just imagine what that journey was probably like. Maybe the anxiety that Mary had over having to tell Elizabeth, her, her relative, that she was with child. Wondering, you know, will she believe my story? I don't know. Wondering, how, how am I going to break this news to Elizabeth? She doesn't have to. Because when she arrives at Zachariah's home and, and greets Elizabeth, it says that the baby who is in Elizabeth's womb, who is John, John the Baptist, leaps. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit And says, blessed are you and blessed is the child you are carrying. And she goes on, blessed am I that the mother of my Lord would would visit me. Mary didn't have to break the news. The Holy Spirit did it for her. And Mary responds with what I expect is, is relief and just joy. And she says these words that come out as a song. The song of Mary. And in this, you see these expanding circles of blessing. She rejoices that God has blessed her, but the blessings ripple out from there. Mary says, from now on, all the generations are going to rise up and call me blessed. I think we Protestants tend to get a, a little bit nervous when we talk about Mary. You know, we don't want to go too far in proclaiming how blessed Mary is. But it's almost hard to go too far. Uh, Mary is this kind of, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but how you describe Mary has been long debated in the church. 
It goes all the way back to the 5th century. There was a bishop in Alexandria named Cyril who ascribed to Mary the title Theotokos, which means the God-bearer. Another bishop in that area uh, was put off by that and rejected that title. His name was Nestorius. And they came to odds with one another. Eventually, it became this whole kind of debacle and a church council was called. And Nestorius was condemned as a heretic. Not just because he wouldn't call Mary the God-bearer, but his Christology, his understanding of Jesus was pretty far off. And the council upheld Cyril of Alexandria and the title Theotokos, the God-bearer. I like that title. I like the title Blessed Virgin Mary too. Not because of what it says about Mary, but because of what it says about God. If Mary is blessed, it's because the Lord has chosen to bless her and perform this miracle of conceiving the Savior in a virgin. And if she is the God-bearer, and she is, it says not so much about her as it does the child she was carrying, God incarnate, God in the flesh, God to save. Mary I don't know how much she understood of all of this at this point, but she does know that she has been remarkably blessed in surprising ways. She emphasizes that she is just a humble and willing servant, but in no way deserving of this honor. Just a humble servant. And she understands that as a humble servant who's being remarkably blessed, She's really just part of a larger pattern of what God does. Uh, several of the commentators that I was studying this week referred to this as a, uh, a revolutionary reversal. God lifting up the humble. God filling the hungry. Satisfying them. God extending mercy and help to those who need it, bearing his mighty arm for them, but scattering the proud, bringing down the rulers, sending away the rich. It's this mighty reversal of God choosing and blessing the humble who fear him. And Mary understands that she's just a part of that pattern. A remarkable part, a unique part, yes, but a part of God choosing what is lowly, to lift up in esteem. God is doing mighty acts on behalf of the humble in Christ. And, and Mary celebrates that. But that's only the, the first kind of wave of the ripple. The blessings extend from there to the nation of Israel. Mary says, God has helped his servant Israel remembering to be faithful to those promises he made to Abraham and to our, our forefathers. What God is doing in blessing me is a blessing to the, the whole nation of Israel. It's God proving his faithfulness to his promises that he has made centuries and centuries and centuries ago. What Mary has in mind here is, is God's promise to raise up a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed one, 
who would be for his people a deliverer, a savior, a rescuer. She's drawing on the prophets who promised that out of the line of David, a shoot would come up from that stump who would rule with justice and mercy, rule in peace and compassion, bring shalom. She's drawing on this thread that goes all the way back to David, who was a good king, but not a perfect king, and certainly not an everlasting king, which is what God had promised. And that thread that goes through the prophets and through David goes all the way back to Moses, who was a great, great prophet. But God said, I'm going to raise up a better prophet. And it goes back to Aaron and the priesthood. It was a good priesthood. But God said, I'm going to raise up a perfect high priest who will intercede forever and ever in my throne room. Those promises go through the prophets, through David, through Moses, through Aaron, all the way back to Abraham. God said to Abraham, I am going to make you a great nation. There, there was times in Israel's history where they looked like maybe they were a great nation. You know, when Solomon reigned and the, the queen of Sheba came because she had heard how great Solomon was and how great the nation was, it looks like maybe this is coming to pass. But at the time that Mary was singing this song, Israel was anything but a great nation. Israel had been subjugated for 500 years or more under one empire after another. They weren't a sovereign nation at all anymore. They were under Roman oppression. Before the Romans, it was the Greeks. Before the Greeks, it was the Persians. Before the Persians, it was the Babylonians. Before the Babylonians, it was the Assyrians. This long train of subjugation so that you think, great nation? Mary says, through what God is doing in me, he will fulfill, he will be faithful to that promise. And make us a great nation. God's faithfulness seems slow and it comes about in surprising ways, doesn't it? I mean, it was 2,000 years prior to Christ that God had made that promise to Abraham. Probably more like 2,100 years. That's a long time to be patient, waiting for God to keep this promise. And the promise unfolds in surprising ways. No one expected a virgin to conceive and bear the Messiah, who would be a suffering Messiah, a suffering servant. But this ripple of what God is doing in Mary, this blessing of God in Mary, extends not just to her, not just to those who are humble, but to the nation of Israel. And beyond her, beyond the nation of Israel, to the nations to all peoples. Now, if you're tracking in the text, you might think, Dan, I don't see the word nations anywhere. I don't see reference to all peoples anywhere. Where are you getting that from? Well, if you trace the promise all the way back to Abraham, the promise to Abraham wasn't just that I'll make you a great nation, but that through you, all nations will be blessed. Through you, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. 
I think there's at least two ways that that dynamic of Abraham blessing all nations unfolds. First, it was through the line of Abraham that the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior was going to come. But also, Abraham and his descendants were to be a blessing to the nations. Not only was the blessing going to come through their line, they themselves were to be that light, that blessing to those around them. There is direct connection, I think, between those principles and us, the church. It is through us that God is blessing the world. Through us, the church. And that means that we are to be light. We are to be salt. We are to be a blessing to those whose lives we're in contact with. And the greatest blessing we have is sharing Christ, the blessing, the hope of the world. So that those ripples, Mary, she understands, she recognizes that she is remarkably blessed by the Lord. And that blessing extends to Israel and then to the nations. I think this is a, a great encounter to kick off the, the Advent season with. Because it's, like I said, probably the first encounter you could conceive of, of with Jesus. But what do we take away from this encounter? What, what, do we, what do we do with it? How does it apply to us? Well, let me offer you three suggestions, three takeaways. First, this week as I was kind of reflecting on this passage, one of the things that really struck me was that Mary considered it an absolute blessing to be chosen to serve. I think, for me, I tend to focus on the duty of serving, on the responsibility, and I forget that it is an absolute blessing to be allowed to serve. It's a joy. You know, if you go into an elementary school and ask kids to, the teacher asks kids to help with something, you know, go, remember when I was in grade school, was go clap the erasers, you know, outside and clean them off. And everyone raised their hands. They wanted, they wanted to go do this. Or, you know, lead the line to the water fountain. And everyone raises their hands. I, I want to be the line leader. It was a duty, or it was a, a privilege, not just a duty, to help the teacher. Fast forward to junior high and you ask a kid to, to help. And what do you typically get? You know, a roll of the eyes, a grunt, uh, you know. I think here's one way we need to recover the childlike nature of faith. And remember what a privilege it is that we are called to serve. That we are given a role in building God's kingdom. Certainly Mary's role was utterly unique, right? None of us are called to be the virgin mothers of our Lord Jesus Christ except Mary. But there's a pattern. God chooses people to serve. He doesn't have to. God in his infinite wisdom and power could build his kingdom in a thousand different ways. He could send out angelic messengers. But he's chosen to privilege us with a kingdom-building task. 
Again, I, th- I think too often we're focused on the duty and the responsibility and we get weighed down by it and we forget to rejoice as Mary did, that God would bless us, to choose us, to allow us to serve in his kingdom. It- it's remarkable. So this week, if you get a call from Mindy or Leah or Amy saying, you know what? We're short-staffed, especially for the holiday seasons. Will you help serve in the children's ministry? Remember, it's a privilege to serve anywhere in Christ's kingdom. When we plead with you and say, you know, we're $60,000 behind budget. Please, please give generously to the ministry of the church. Remember, it's a privilege we have of giving and serving. When you hear calls to evangelism, to share the gospel with your neighbor, with your classmate, with your friend, think God has chosen me to be his ambassador, to be his herald of the good news. Don't just get stuck dwelling on the duty of it. And it is a duty. It's a responsibility. Remember the joy. That's the first thing that stuck with me as I studied this passage. Uh, The second is probably more important. The second is don't doubt God's faithfulness even when he seems slow in keeping his promises. Just about every day, Luke asked me to play with him. And a lot of times, Inertia makes it hard for me to want to get off the couch, right? An object at rest tends to stay at rest. And I say, just give me a few minutes. And about two minutes later, he asks me to play Nerf guns or a video game or something or Monopoly. Like, oh, just a few more minutes. And he says, Dad, you're taking forever. A lot of times I think that's how we respond to God's perceived slowness in keeping his promises. God, you're taking forever. And it begins to move towards doubting God will keep his promises. I honestly don't think God begrudges us our impatience and wanting him to keep his promises more quickly. I I, I don't. We want God to do what he said he's going to do. But God's timetable is surprisingly slow to us. 2,000 years from Abraham to the birth of the Messiah. But he keeps his promises. Don't doubt that. When we're training children and trying to teach them to take responsibility, we start with small things, don't we? Prove your trustworthiness in the small thing. And then we'll give you something bigger. And if you show yourself trustworthy and faithful in that, we'll give you something slightly bigger. And we'll build trust and we'll build a sense of you're reliable. Start small, work big. God does it the other way. He starts big. I've showed you how faithful I am. I gave you my son. Now trust me for the small things too. Trust God that he will be faithful to his promises. When he says, I'll be with you, trust him even when you feel all alone. 
When he says, I will sustain you till the very end. Trust that he will be faithful to that promise, even when it feels like your faith is just running on fumes and you're about empty. When he says, I will present you blameless and spotless. Trust him to be faithful to that promise, even when all you sense is your sin, and that's all you see. Trust him when he says, I'll come again, even when it seems like it's been so long. God has proven his faithfulness over and over again. This Advent season, remember God's faithfulness. Remember it in the daily things, and of course, the big life-changing things. That's the second thing that emerges from this. Don't doubt God's faithfulness. He's shown that he is faithful to his promises over and over again. The third thing is worship. Just worship. Uh, the title for this hymn and the kind of history of the church is the Magnificat, which is the Latin word that gets translated, my soul magnifies. If you're focusing on how God has blessed you and the world, if you're remembering it's faithless and you don't move to worship, you're missing something. This ought to compel us to, to worship God for what he has done and how he's been faithful and how he's providing, not just for us, but for the sins of the world. But not just for what he's done, also for who he is. Mary celebrates not just what God has done for her, but that he's a, a holy God and a merciful God. Celebrating God for who he is and, and how he's shown himself in history. Magnify the Lord. This Advent season, determined to make it a worshipful season for you and your family. Yes, in the midst of buying gifts, you can still be worshipful. You can still trace those gifts back to the ultimate gift giver and be thankful and sing praises and worship. As you spend time with, with family and with friends, you can remember and give praise to your heavenly Father, the one who provides you with spiritual family. Worship. It sounds so simple, right? it's one word, but it would be life transforming if we can live in this worshipful attitude. Uh, the Apostle Paul is famous for his triad of faith, hope, and love. I think he stole it from Mary. Mary calls us to faith, hope, and love in this song. Faith that God will keep his promises. Hope in what the coming of the Messiah means. This revolutionary reversal where he elevates the humble. And love. Love that expresses itself in worship. Faith, hope, and love this Advent season. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the hope that it does bring us. We pray that you would fuel our faith in the hearing of your word this morning.
that we would trust your promises for us as individuals, but also your grand promises, your global promises for your world to renew it and restore it. Father, we just pray that we would be faithful and find the great joy that you have given us in serving. Father, we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.